and welcome to Anomalous Waves, a podcast discussing all things strange. I'm John. I'm Ami. And today I will be talking about doppelgangers. I will be discussing the Crosswick monster and a swamp monster from South Carolina. Make sure and check our show notes for today's references, as well as a link to our Patreon. We already have some of our bonus series, Randomly Generated Rabbit Holes, where we talked about the Mongolian death worm. And in our next one, we'll be discussing Flatwoods Monster, as well as another new series called A Stormy Night with John and Ami. And I'm going to be playing just the first story from that at the very end after our outro, so you can get a little taste. Be sure to follow us on our social media, where we will get better at updating it but you could see lots of photos from our producer in spooky news we have a story about a floating city and an update on the unidentified aerial phenomenon report instead of the movie review of it's alive three island of the alive uh, my dad recently came to visit so i had him tell his paranormal experience that is really probably the reason why I am even doing this now, because he was always so into stuff and he really passed that curiosity along to me. So that'll be after Spooky News. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Anomalous Waves. doppelganger. Now, most people nowadays say doppelganger when they're just talking about like a celebrity lookalike or something, right? Like, oh, I saw your doppelganger the other day. Mm-hmm. It just means someone that maybe dresses like you and kind of looks like you. But a doppelganger is an apparition or double of a living person. The literal translation from German is double goer or double walker. So in the new Strange Days, Volume 6, there is an article by Yale Grotman, um, and he talks about doppelgangers. Some of the things he talks about is folklore, like um, there's something called a fetch in Irish folklore. Also, in ancient Egyptian mythology, there's references to a tangible spirit double called a ka, the vardiger. In Norse folklore is a ghostly entity inhabiting a subject's appearance, voice, scent, demeanor, and performing their actions before they do. On the Orkney Islands in Scotland, legends of fairy-like creatures called trows were feared. A creature who birthed sickly duplicates of newborns known as changelings, which they attempted to swap out with their twin counterpart. So there's some famous sightings of a doppelganger when it meant like a harbinger of doom. Some famous examples that it talks about even in this Strange Days article. One is Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley's husband. It was said that Percy saw himself several times before his demise, where he had like a, I think it was a sailboat accident or something at 29. I don't know. Oh, really? I don't really know anything about her husband. Oh, I know you love Mary Shelley. I know. I only know about her. I didn't study up on the spouse. So Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, but her husband supposedly saw himself like walking around and stuff quite a bit before. And even something about he saw himself on like near the beach pointing out at the water. And that's where he was like found drifted ashore or whatever after he drowned from a sailboat accident. Huh. This was at age 29. She had so much tragedy in her life. Yeah, it talked about her sister committed suicide and yeah, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, that's why she wrote Frankenstein. She was very fascinated with reanimation. So another really famous harbinger of doom type of thing is with Abraham Lincoln. Now, apparently after his election in 1860, he woke the next morning with a startling vision. Now, I don't know if this is an actual quote from him, but I saw this in an article and it was in quotations and it sounds like it's from him. Getting up, Lincoln looked around the room and his gaze landed on a mirror above a bureau. 
Looking in that glass, I saw myself reflected nearly at full length, but my face, I noticed, had two separate and distinct images, the tip of the nose of one being about three inches from the tip of the other. I was a little bothered, perhaps startled, and got up and looked in the glass, but the illusion vanished. On lying down again, I saw it a second time, plainer if possible than before, and then I noticed that one of the faces was a little paler, say five shades than the other. I got up and the thing melted away. So Mary Todd, the first lady, interpreted it as like a bad sign Mm -hmm. and that he would be elected to a second term of office, but the paleness of one of the faces was an omen that he would not see life through the last term. Who knows if she actually said that. Most things I saw mentioned that she did think of this as a bad omen. Through a lot of cultures, it seems the same. So there's also the Twilight Zone mirror image from season one, episode 21, aired on February 26, 1960. We watched this like a week ago. So this is about Millicent Barnes, and she's at a bus depot. And she first sees the doppelganger of herself when she goes into the bathroom opens the door and there's a mirror and she sees herself sitting on the bench. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting too, the connection of the mirror. So a lot of time, I mean, it makes sense, the reflection, right? Yeah, and her doppelganger was looking at her smile, like smirking. It knew. Smirking and knew for sure. And then... She goes, and she's about ready to leave. She meets some other guy, but they're about ready to get on the bus to leave, and she sees her doppelganger again, and she faints and passes out. Mm -hmm. Now she kind of already develops this theory where she saw something about parallel universes and that everyone has a counterpart, and if one comes over to this side, it'll try to take over your your existence pretty much, which— kind of also stems from the changeling kind of theory, something taking your place. Yeah. But it's really interesting because there was a couple things, the mirror and then kind of like a changeling kind of updated for sci-fi style. When I worked at Macy's, I used to work at Macy's in my early 20s. One day it was like really slow, but I kept having these people come in, this girl came in, she was buying clothes for her boyfriend, and she said, hey, how's your sister? And I said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have a sister. And then she said, oh, oh, you're not, you know, I'll just say like Kate's sister? I said, no, I don't know any Kate. And she said, you look exactly like this girl I know. And then a short while later, somebody else came in and they said, hey, you look like somebody. They're actually in the mall. Oh, wow. I was like, what? Don't bring them around here. <laughs> yeah, that's a prime example of the lookalike with separate yeah, life. But I was kind of surprised because I've never really been told I look like somebody besides, I mean, the girl from Pretty Little Liar, Spencer. So, In the vicinity of your job. Yeah. Like that close. Yeah, they said they had just seen them like downstairs at Macy's. So I was like, whoa. So if you research doppelgangers at all and you go on YouTube, almost every like video will talk about this one specific case. And it's with Emily Sage. When you research this, you realize that every like the whole account comes from one book written in 1860 by Robert Dale Owen, and it's called Footfalls on the Boundary of Another World. So chapter two of this book is called Apparitions of the Living, and it's all about these kind of harbinger doom type accounts and stuff. But interestingly enough, I got another version of it from 1867, and this part of the chapter was missing. So everything comes from this one source, and his source was one young 13-year-old girl from a noble family. So I wonder if they made him take it out. 
because it made them look bad. Now the account is from a student named uh, Julie D. Goldenstube, and she's the daughter of Baron, uh, of the Baron D. Goldenstube, and she was 13 years of age. So Emily Saget was a French woman from Dijon. Um, apparently at this school, which was a school for young women, she taught there for a year and a half. Now this school was in Livonia, Germany, and it's called, I cannot pronounce it. I'm, I'm gonna try though. Pensionat Neuweka. Pensionat Neuweka. So Emily was described as fair complexion, blue eyes, chestnut hair. She was also said to be intelligent, accomplished, and healthy. So this story it takes place in 1845. And like I said, most of the accounts are from one student, Julie. When you read this like section of the old book, the first reports are kids from the school talking about, you know, like, oh, did you see Miss Saget? And they're like, yeah, she was in the classroom. And someone else is like, I just passed her in the hallway. What do you mean? And, you know, kids started reporting it quite a bit of time. People would always just brush it off as, you know, they're just thinking it was someone, but it was actually, it was, they were thinking it was Emily, but it was just another teacher or something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the teachers were like, you know, whatever, they're just mistaken. But then it starts to get undeniable. So there's a classroom of 13 young women, Julie being one of them. They saw Emily, you know, writing on the blackboard, teaching, but there were two of her. And the other one was doing the exact same action, but had no chalk and wasn't, so wasn't actually writing, but was just doing the, the movements of writing right next to her. So another account was that this lady asked Emily to help her and um, get ready. And she was like hooking her dress. I don't know what that means. And in the mirror, she saw two of her. And then she fainted. Oh. So another mirror thing. Another account was when Emily was sick. And the woman looking after her noted that she suddenly got extra kind of pale. And then she saw her walking around in the apartment. Even though she was sitting right here, super sick, fever, started seeing her walking around the apartment. Weird. Another big one. So the school has like 42 students total. It's a small private school for young women, mostly noble families, like I said. But they had this one class, uh, like embroidery class, where they would all kind of join, join up together. And um, at the time, there was a teacher inside, and Emily was outside in the garden gathering flowers. And the kids could see her from the window. So the other teacher was sitting in the chair, and then the teacher left. And when the teacher left, Emily would appear in the chair. So she was just sitting there quietly, not saying anything. Some of the brave kids went up, approached her, and tried to touch her. And they said that they felt a slight resistance, which they likened to that which a fabric of fine muslin or crepe would offer to the touch. So kind of crinkly, like tissue papery. And then I guess some of the girls stood close and like you could see them through her though. So there was like that kind of apparition-y thing too. And then she disappeared from the chair. So the kids asked the real Emily if she had any weird feelings while she was out in the garden. She said that she looked up and saw the teacher gone and thought, I wish she had not gone away. These girls would be sure to be idling their time and getting into some mischief. So she kind of wished she was up there. So it was also noted that, you know, when the kids went and checked the garden after they saw her in the chair, that she was moving slowly and kind of awkwardly hmm. and kind of sickly. So it was noted that she herself was, you know, the author talks about that she was usually weak when others could see the doppelganger and that her health would kind of 
come back when it would disappear. Now, the other weird thing is she never saw it, ever. She just heard reports of what people said, and she could tell from their faces that it was there. Because sometimes it would even happen in the dining hall where she would be eating, and it would stand behind her and be making the motion of her eating. So apparently the kids went home for the holidays. They told their parents. Parents were really weirded out. And, you know, pretty much were like, we're not sending our kid back. And apparently the student count went from 42 students to 12. Jeez. So they really liked Emily, but eventually they had to let her go Mm -hmm. because all the kids were leaving. So it was noted by Julie that at this time, Emily said, ah, the 19th time, it's very hard to bear. So apparently she kept getting fired for the same reason, but she was so good at her job that they kept giving her letters of recommendation so she would easily get another job. Mm -hmm. So she kept having, because teachers were hard to come by back then, they noted as well, like good teachers. So it was just like, she just kept moving and they gave her a good recommendation too. Now I also, you know, read that like Julie kept up with her a little bit after she went to like, Emily went to help her sister or something like that and stayed with her for a while and then left and then they lost touch after that. So there's not really records of Emily and stuff. They might have used a different name. Um, Maybe Julie admitted to making it up. It's strange that it's in the 1860 version and then not in the 1867 version. But the story is really interesting. Recommend reading it for yourself. I'll put a link in it. It's it's only like 10 pages or something. But the real interesting part to me was the that she like looked all pale and slow and sick when the apparition would appear. Mm-hmm. That is weird. And then when it would come back or when it would disappear, she would like kind of be good again. Yeah. Now, of course, the other thing was the mirror. Pretty much in all the stories, not all of them, but the Abe Lincoln account, even the Twilight Zone. I've also read a lot of creepy stories about people seeing, like, I guess they call it mimics, where it's not a doppelganger of you, but of someone that you know or love, like your parents or your sibling. I've heard stories of people where, like, their brother was away at college and they saw him, their brother, up on the roof with a big creepy smile. Yeah, there's that one when the kid's home alone at the house and he hears his mom calling downstairs to help him with something. Yeah, there's auditory mimics too. Yeah, and then his sibling or something says it's not mom. Yeah. And then the voice changes. Ooh. So I didn't go like super deep into like the folklore of doppelgangers and stuff. There's a lot of things. I just briefly mentioned a couple. But I wanted to talk about that Sage account and then about my own kind of weird experience with like a doppelganger or mimic type thing. So I think I've told you this before, but when I was a caregiver back in my previous life, um, I sometimes would have to stay overnight. And one night, one of the residents got up to go use the restroom. Then I saw them come out of the restroom and walk down the hall and then turn into their bedroom. I went to go say goodnight, walked behind, you know, wasn't too far behind, and turned into the room and nothing. They weren't there at all. So I went back and the bathroom door was still closed. I knocked and then they said, I'm still in here. So I said, okay. And then they got out of the bathroom and went to bed and whatever. I called my dad right away because I was, like, weirded out. Yeah. Because, you know, in the moment, it was just kind of happening really quickly. But when I, like, thought about it, it was really weird. Because first off, this person wasn't quite that tall. And they walked with a little bit of a kind of wobble. This didn't. It just... No shoulder movement, you know? Walk just smooth. Real straight, like not even walking, like kind of gliding. It also 
appeared like everything was like perfect looking. This person would dye their hair this like kind of purplish color, purple reddish color, and the hair was perfect and almost just looked like a solid color hmm. more than like actual like definition. You know, so everything like from the back just looked like perfect. Like I described it to another coworker as like a perfect version of them. Really weird. I was kind of freaked out, but yeah. I didn't get like a, a bad feeling or anything. I wasn't sure because like residual stuff is, you know, usually like the same kind of thing happens over and over again. It's like a memory. But they were pretty new to the place and it was just weird. So I told some coworkers who were interested in that kind of stuff too. A couple weeks later, I was like cooking dinner or something and another coworker was helping someone and all of a sudden they came in the kitchen and were like, were you, did you just walk by over here? And I was like, no, I've been in the kitchen. And they're like looking at me weird and they're like, were you wearing your jacket? And I'm like, no, it's over there. And I pointed to it sitting on the kind of campfire or sitting on the fireplace, like edge of it. And it was a really, you've seen it. It's like a really obvious jacket. It's tan with fur, mm -hmm. fur on the outside. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's really obvious to see. It's not just like a black jacket or something. It's very specific. And he says that he saw me in like the same spot where I saw the other person walking and then turning down the hall. Same kind of thing, but I was wearing that jacket. Now at that time I was just cooking, cooking dinner. Wasn't even wearing the jacket. It was warm. So it was just really weird. No other, you know, situations like that really happened. But I thought it was really weird that there was like two mimic kind of doppelganger type things. And he, he said the way I described it was very similar. It was like kind of like the back, just like the smoothness. You know, mm -hmm. not this refined detail, but this weird smoothness. So yeah, super weird. <laughs> There's a lot of cool doppelganger stories out there. Um, our next stormy night with John and Ami, I'll find some, some creepy doppelganger mimic stories and we'll share those. several residents of a small town called Crosswick, Ohio, had a mysterious encounter with this giant and angry bipedal monster. It's bipedal. Bipedal. You can keep this in there. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Um, the incident was even reported in an article in the Cincinnati Inquirer on May 29th of 1882. Now, prior to this event, people would actually find these large and unknown tracks on like the single dirt road in town. Cause I guess there wasn't a lot of roads. There was one road and they'd find these weird tracks on it all the time. Mm. How many toes? No toes. Oh, what'd they look like? Kind of slithery. And I wonder, so it, I think it's, this thing was supposed to have a tail. So I wonder if it was like the tail tracks. Cause I didn't hear him talk about any toes. Hmm. Weird. One of the first reported encounters was from Ed and Joe Lynch. Now, these boys were fishing on a small creek on the south side of Crosswick when they heard something in the reeds. The boys went to take a closer look, and they found the noise to be coming from this 30-foot-long black-and-white snake with legs and yellow spots. The boys got scared and started to run away, but the creature chased them, and it even grabbed Joe and dragged him into a large hollow sycamore tree that had a hole on one of the sides. The screams were heard by three men who were passing by. They were Reverend Jacob Horn, George Peterson, and Alan Jordan, and they rushed over to see what the commotion was. When the men came close, they described it as like a salamander-type creature, 
and it dropped Joe, and it slithered into a nearby tree. That's interesting. That sounds like some fae kind of stuff. Yeah. The men uh, called the doctor to tend to Joe's wounds, and then they decided to form a mob. They got, like, 60 guys together to go hunt this mysterious creature, because what else are you going to do? They were armed with clubs, dogs, and kind of any weapon they could find or make in matter of minutes, basically. And they marched to where they last saw this creature. They started to chop down the tree, and and this creature just jumped out, and it slithered away, and they chased it for a little bit, but it just jumped into a hole by this pile of rocks and disappeared. It had its own, like, little little escape systems. Yeah. Now, poor Ed suffered very deep lacerations and bruises. And, of course, he was in shock. Because, I mean, how terrifying would that be? Just to be fishing and, boom, get plucked up by a giant salamander. But for the rest of his life, he actually had spasms and convulsions. Like, maybe, was he bit? I, or he was scratched. He was scratched. So maybe the poison, some poison in there. But if it was poison, he probably would have died because they didn't have anti-venom back then. Yeah. The other thing is the kind of colors. Isn't that like um, Michikanabak? Yeah. Like black and white stripes with yellow spots? Yeah. Specifically? Yeah. Wasn't it something like that? Yeah. And it's also by the water. So moving from the Midwest with our Crosswick monster, going to the deep south, to Lee County, South Carolina, where there are stories of a lizard man escape or swamp. Have you ever heard of him? What's it called? Skate or swamp? Skate or swamp. Skate or? Yeah. Ooh. So Muskogee Creek Nation tribe has a legend about this creature. It is said that a hunter came back one evening and said, I have found a big bear tree. He told the rest of the hunters and they said to one another, tomorrow morning we will set out and smoke the bear out so that we can see her. They slept and next day started off and came to the place. When they got to where the big tree stood, it looked as if something lived there. And they said to one another, a bear surely lives here. So they started a fire under it. The smoke filled up the hollow inside, and soon a big lizard came out. The people saw it and ran away. The big lizard jumped down and gave chase. It ran along till it caught one of them and came back with him. It came with him to the big tree and threw him down into it. Then it chased another and did the same to each in turn, overtook, caught, and brought him back. Only one was left. It chased him, and after it had gone a long distance, overtook him and brought him back. When it was coming through a place where the tree was thick, a tiger or panther was asleep in it. When the big lizard got there with the man, the panther awoke and jumped upon it. The lizard let the man go and jumped upon the panther in turn, and they began to fight. The man saw this, jumped up, and ran away. Of the people who had gone far from their homes to hunt, only one came back. He told his people how the big lizard had killed all the others. So settlers had heard about it, so they called Muskogee's Creek. But they had heard stories from them about this weird creature, but I thought it was weird that it also lived in a tree. Yeah. And it also took them back to the tree, just like Crosswick. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And also, in that story, you got possibly a alien big cat. We did a whole episode on this. If you go back to episode six, I talk about uh, phantom big cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird stuff. So that's really weird that all that far away and possibly before that story is probably older than the... When was the Crosswick legend? 1882. So it has so to be prior both to that. quite a while ago. Yeah, Either I think way. it has to be a little bit prior to 1882. I couldn't find an exact date. So settlers in this area of South Carolina also heard from the Muscogee tribe of men with long tails that were as thick as a man's arm and they only ate raw fish. So always like nearby water. Nearby water. Swamp, yeah. river. Yeah. 
So he became a local legend, and many people in the area were told growing up to not go out after dark or else he would get you. And many probably thought that it was like a silly legend or lore until 1988 when a teenager got the scare of a lifetime. Mm. So Christopher Davis, he was a 17-year-old local, he said he encountered the creature while he was driving home from work around 2 a.m. on June 29th. He had stopped on a road bordering skateboard swamp in order to change a flat tire. Now, I have read that he fixed the tire, got back in the car, and was about to drive off when he heard a thumping noise behind him. And when he turned around, he saw a creature running at him. And then there's also some that said he was still fixing the tire when he saw a seven-foot-tall lizard creature with red eyes coming at him. But it jumped on the roof of his car, and in both cases... He got away, and when he finally made it home, he found that his side view mirror was badly damaged. And there were scratch marks on his car's roof, and there's no other physical evidence at the counter other than these weird scratches all on his car. They're always jumping up on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Big cats always jump on the roof. Yeah. Dog man jumps on the, the roof. Yeah, and the other one, so it jumped on his... The roof of his car, and he was already in it, and he was driving off, so he started, of course, you know, trying to speed away. And it was clawing at it, trying to get a grip on top of the car's roof. So he was, you know, swerving back and forth to try and get it off, and finally he did. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I only found one of those. But then another one said he was still fixing the tire when it came at him, and he jumped in the car. Now, Christopher said that I looked back and I saw something running across the fields towards me. It was about 25 yards away and I saw red eyes glowing. I ran into the car and as I locked it, the thing grabbed the door handle. I could see him from the neck down, the three big fingers, long black nails and green rough skin. It was strong and angry. I looked in my mirror and saw a blur of green running. I could see his toes, and then he jumped on the roof of my car. I thought I heard a grunt, and then I could see his fingers through the front windshield. Where they curled around the roof, I sped up and swerved to shake the creature off. So, he had fixed his tire. (laughs) After this event, other locals had run-ins with this swamp creature. Cars parked close to the swamp were found with these unusual scratches and bite marks. Hmm. Two weeks after the Davis sighting, the local sheriff's department made several plaster casts of what looked like three-toed footprints, and hmm. some of them measured 14 inches in length. Hmm, three-toed. Mm-hmm. Hell, your fans. <laughs> but they decided against sending them to the FBI because a biologist advised them that they were unclassifiable. I feel bad for this next guy. (laughs) Another local man named Kenneth Orr claimed he shot at the lizard man, and he even presented several scales and a small quantity of blood as evidence, and he ended up being arraigned for unlawfully carrying a pistol. (laughs) After? What, did they test the blood and stuff? Not that I saw. So it's just like, I shot at this thing. You had a pistol, so you're going to jail. So the lizard man is described as having, like, green scaly skin in a lot of the reports, and he has red or orange eyes, always three-fingered webbed hands, about seven feet tall, and has a stride of 40 inches. Hmm. Also, before you move on, it kind of makes me believe that guy's story more because he knew he wasn't supposed to have a pistol, probably. Yeah, he was like a local... And he still told him. Yeah. I think he was like a pilot or something, like a local airman or something Mm. like that. So Interesting. Kind of a serious person, serious job. Now, fast forward to summer of 2015. Seattle Times did a story on this creepy cutie and some new photos and videos that started to emerge. And in the videos, well, it looks like a, like a tall lizard man or a guy in a lizard suit. So Jim Wilson said he was traveling toward Camden on SC-34 when something came out of the woods and ran across the skateboard bridge. 
It was a tall, dark figure that had a tail and appeared to have scales. Wilson said it was almost like an alligator with a short nose and long legs. Wilson said that the creature heard him and turned toward him just as he snapped the last photograph and then moved quickly into the water. He returned to his vehicle. He looked back one more time only to see the creature crossing the swamp. And then a woman, she would only identify herself as Sarah, reportedly spotted the lizard man while attending church with a friend in Bishopville, which is about 10 miles north of Skateboard Swamp, so a little bit away from his turf. We saw lizard man come out of the woods and run along the tree line, she said in an email to the state. My hand to God, I am not making this up. And she went to church. She went to church. So you know... She don't say that unless she's serious. Rudy Manick, he's a naturalist in residence at the University of South Carolina, has studied the state's animal and plant populations. And he said unless he is able to actually see the animal or cryptid-like creature, there is no way for him to disprove or confirm its existence. In the human mind, and I don't care how much education you got, there is always this wonderful feeling that there are great mysteries out there that we can't understand, he said. He had um, like an explanation for the lizard man that it could be an escaped emu or ostrich, which traced their lineage back to bipedal dinosaurs. Like lizard man, emus and ostriches have reptile-like faces, scales walk upright, and have three-toed feet. Mm. So I was kind of curious about these lizard types, Crosswick and the lizard man, and I was wondering what kind of actual lizards could it be and i found so the parente is the fourth largest living lizard on earth it is indigenous to australia but it grows to be eight feet long but it's not vicious it avoids contacts with humans and generally doesn't want anything to do with us does it walk upright i don't know you have to ask him does it live in a tree (laughs) it needs a desert like climate to survive so so swamps are perfect but it lives in western australia south australia northern territory and queensland i was kidding i think swamps would be terrible mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah their habitat consists of rocky outcroppings and gorges with hard packed soil and loose stones these are all just ones that they were wondering if possibly well it looks similar to reports of crosswick and then when you throw in the lizard man, it's like all of them are around the same size. So the crocodile monitor can also grow up to be eight feet, native to New Guinea. They avoid contact with humans too. And if a person is bitten by them, the bites can cause an infection. I think only one person has reportedly died from a bite from the crocodile monitor. Maybe that's why that one person would get fits. Mm-hmm. That's have, what I was have wondering. Like the seizures and stuff. Yeah. But they live in the high and low canopies of the lowland rainforests and coastal mangrove swamps. Okay, maybe a little more sold on this one. And they sometimes venture out of these areas during floods and rainy seasons. Hmm. And lastly, of course, the Komodo dragon. (laughs) Yeah, because they have poisonous bite, right? They do, yeah. Yeah. They grow up to be 10 feet long and they are the largest lizard. They have a very venomous bite, but they live in the Indonesian islands. But none of these creatures could really survive in the climate of Crosswick, Ohio. And if some of them had bitten the boy, he probably would have died from the venom. So what are these monsters? Before getting into some spooky news, we wanted to let you know about the new Anomalous Waves Patreon. This is the best way to support the show, help us put out more episodes, as well as bonus goods exclusive to patrons. Some benefits include extended clips and movie reviews that got cut out from episodes, a monthly spooky newsletter, a shout out from our producer Lilliput, and an exclusive patron-only series randomly generated rabbit holes you can find the link in our show notes or just go to patreon.com slash anomalous waves 
That's patreon.com slash anomalouswaves. If monthly subscriptions isn't your thing, but you still want to support the show, there's a link in the show notes to our PayPal and Venmo for one-time donations. Thank you for tuning in and supporting Anomalous Waves. A floating city has been seen over the Atlantic Ocean on the south coast of England. A man by the name of Arthur Scott saw the odd sight and took a picture of what looks like skylines and a floating block of buildings. The picture was captured just a few miles south of the beach in Portsmouth, Hampshire. Mr. Scott stated, It looked like an eastern block city in the sea. That's the best way I can describe it. There's been quite a lot of Fata Morgana mirages lately, where ships appear to float in the horizon, but that's not what this was. Like everyone else in Portsmouth, I'm well used to seeing large container ships that look like floating islands, but this was stationary, way too long, and we looked at it for over an hour. This mirage-like sighting happened only two days after photos emerged of the 65,000-ton carrier, which appeared like it was flying in the skies. July 2nd was World UFO Day, a nod to the purported Roswell crash of 1947. Even though the exact date is unknown, it was reported in a release from the U.S. Army on July 8th, 1947. UFO enthusiasts have been eagerly awaiting disclosure with the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Report from the Director of National Intelligence. It was finally released on June 25th. The report is a nine-page document detailing numbers of reports by military personnel, the UAP task force, reasoning for the lack of consistent data with new reporting protocols, some natural explanations, and many unknowns. The report states, we were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. In that case, we identified the object as a large deflating balloon. The others remain unexplained. 144 reports originated from USG sources. Of these, 80 reports involved observation with multiple sensors. Most reports described UAP as objects that interrupted pre-planned training or other military activity. With many unknowns, it has left Americans to fill in their own assumptions about these unidentified aerial phenomena. In a recent survey conducted by the Pew Research Center, and released before the report was made public, approximately 65% of Americans believe that extraterrestrials exist, and about 51% say that UFO sightings by the U.S. military represent visits from intelligent life outside our planet. You're about to hear a story from my dad. Um, We sat down and did an interview, and I cut this story together so that I could do it kind of listener tale style with music and sound effects. But if you want to hear um, our full interview and our discussion with more details, as well as kind of reflecting on all the parts of the story and talking about it with each other, I'm going to include the longer interview on our Patreon. So here is his story. Well, I was 15 years old and uh, I had a best friend named Jake and we would always hang out at his house. His house was the house where all the kids went. We would go there to skateboard, hang out. His mom and dad were so cool. It was that house where the mom would make like 30 sandwiches for all the neighborhood kids and it was great, man, we loved it. And it was just a day like any other. I was going to Jake's. The only difference was his parents, for the first time ever, were gonna go out of town. And they were gonna leave us alone, just me and him at the house, which was pretty rare. They were always there. 
of course, we were 15. We had instructions to not have parties and all that stuff. And she said that the, her friend was actually going to spend the night, but probably wouldn't be there till late in the evening. So we'd have the whole day to ourselves. Um, I went over to his house and met him on the front porch where we always hung out. Our plans were to call two of our friends, our, our good buddies that we always hung out with. So we went to Jake's house. I'm not, there was a phone downstairs and a phone upstairs. It was a, it was actually a three-story house, two stories and a basement. And uh, a kind of a big colonial had the big porch in the front. It was an older home. We had to go upstairs. I think it was because upstairs there was like a phone book and a list of numbers. And I think he probably had our friend, other friend's phone number up there. We went upstairs. Nothing was out of the ordinary. I remember walking up the stairs. I was first and I walked, I knew right where his parents' room was and I opened the door. And this was, it wasn't dark. It was evening. It wasn't even dusk. It was probably five or six. And I opened the door and we both walked in the doorway and I looked. There was a dress, no head, no legs, no arms, but there was a dress, a full-size dress. And it was so weird because the dress looked like it was in black and white, like as if you're watching a black and white movie, but everything else was in color. It wasn't like a fancy dress. If I had to think of it, I would think of like Little House on the Prairie and the mom wearing this dress. We both looked and we didn't say a word. And you gotta remember this all happened like in a flash. The dress moved from left to right and it didn't walk, it didn't have a gait, it floated. It literally floated from the left to the right. And there was this energy in the room that I can't even explain. It still gives me chills. It's like if you walk into a room and you feel, you feel feelings in a room, you can feel a vibe. Like you can feel like, oh, everybody's sad here or, every, or this is awkward. I felt absolute rage, not rage like I was mad, but I felt like the room was filled with hate and rage and anger. It was a whirlwind of insanity. And as this dress floated and stopped probably five feet in front of us, Everything went crazy in the room. I remember we both looked at the phone book that was on this big dresser. And the phone book, the pages started flipping, single, one at a time, like a fan was blowing across it, just ripping. And we both screamed and turned to run. And as we ran out the door, the door slammed so hard right behind me massively like it shook the house like I was for sure it would just explode the door and we ran screaming <laughs> down the stairs and I remember fighting each other in the middle of the stairway because nobody wanted to be in the back and uh, we both ran out the front door just screaming just freaked out I do I it's been a long time but I do remember just kind of being talking about it with each other, hanging out in the front porch. And then our friend comes up, he rode his bike. Actually, both of them did, one first, then the other. I remember it was getting later then, it was, it was getting dark. And we were talking to them about it and they didn't believe us. And even one of my friends, Paul, he even was like, you know, I'm gonna go up there, this and that. And him and Kelly did go up there, nothing happened. And we did go back up there. It kind of got more comfortable, it didn't feel as scary. So I do remember that one friend, Kelly, he he was a little darker than the rest of us. And I remember him suggesting we have a seance. And I kind of knew the concept of a seance, but I didn't really know much about it. And at Jake's house on the main level, there was like kind of like a little table and a kitchen and a living room. And then to the right, there's a little hallway off the kitchen. And then there was like a formal dining room where nobody really used but it was a big wooden table. And they happened to have like uh, the candles, the big candles in the middle. There was three, I remember, candles. And we lit the middle one. And we sat around four of us. We were not like holding hands or anything. We were just sitting spaced out, four of us around this table. Nobody wanted to start. I remember I, I asked the question. So we were just standing there and I said, um, are you a woman? Just simple. I didn't, 
and the candle flame shot up and danced. And it went from a candle flame is probably an inch and a half. And this thing probably hit almost five inches. And then I, I just waited. I didn't know what to do. And then the candle slowly went back to normal. And then I said, were you murdered in this house? And the candle flame shot up again. And my friend Kelly said, stop. And we all looked at him and he said, in this really shaky voice, somebody's hands are on my shoulders like that. And I blew out the candle and we turned on the light and look and we didn't see anything. And Kelly was done. Absolutely. He's like, I'm going to go home. I'm done. I'm done. And we were all sitting there talking like, oh, dude, just chill out. And the phone rang in the kitchen. And Jake's like, oh, I wonder who that is. And so from this formal dining room, there's a little hallway that goes into the kitchen. And I could see Jake walking through the little hallway and he just stops. And the phone stops ringing and Jake doesn't move, completely frozen. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He didn't say anything. Jake, Jake. So I walk up to him and he's just white and his jaws dropped. And I look into the kitchen and this was the old kitchen. It has a massive amounts of cupboards and drawers, just wall to wall. Every single cupboard and drawer was wide open, every single one. We didn't hear a spoon clink, dish move, but every single thing was wide open, completely wide open, including the refrigerator, the freezer door, everything. But when we were all standing there and we told Jake and Kelly, come over here and check this out. And they walk in here, the, I remember the refrigerator started slamming open and shut. Boom, boom, boom. And that's when we ran and I was in the back. Those guys ran first and I was following them and I and the, the extra refrigerator on the back porch opened up and slammed into me and knocked me against the kind of the screened wall. We just all ran in the back. And, and into the backyard, into the back alley. And we sat there in the backyard area for quite a while. There was no way Kelly and Paul were gonna spend the night. And there was no way I was gonna leave my best friend. I was gonna spend the night. And uh, I remember Kelly and Paul left and me and Jake stayed outside for a while, a long while. And we decided to go back into the house so our plan was, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go close every cupboard and everything and run back down and run down to his, his bedroom was in the basement and we're going to camp there. That's it. We're done. We closed everything and darted whew, right down to the basement. We closed his door, got in his room, jumped on the same bed and we just sat there and we talked about what it could be. Why? I asked him questions. Have you ever seen anything like this before? No. He said the only weird thing that's ever happened was he thought he could hear people talking through his vent, but he said he did hear like voices or kids laughing before it kind of freaked him out. So he assumed that it was somebody in the house just talking and he couldn't make it out really. And so the longer we stayed there in his room, nothing happened. Of course, the braver we got and, and we started, you know, we were kids, started laughing and talking and wow. And I remember saying that was kind of cool actually, you know, like, I mean, it was scary, but it was kind of cool. I mean, what the hell was that? I kind of wish that something would happen. And as soon as I said that, there was three huge knocks on his bedroom door. Nothing in the house could do that. He had no pets. He, there was no other people. A locked house in the basement on the door. And we just, I just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And we just sat there in his bed quietly for a long time like we didn't want to provoke it because i all of a sudden i knew like it's watching us or it can hear us or it knows exactly what we're doing so as we're downstairs in his room being quiet and everything around midnight um we heard a boom upstairs a couple cupboards bang bang and some footsteps and he was like, dude, you know, at first I was like, what is that? And he's like, dude, the lady's home. The lady that's supposed to spend the night is here. 
felt good, like we weren't alone. Okay, good. We stayed downstairs. She was like really walking around a lot. It was kind of weird. I mean, it's not that weird to just come home and get a glass of water or something, but she was walking around a lot. So then we started thinking maybe she brought somebody with her. And it was really weird. We'd hear like water running and steps and then cupboards. And it just went on for a couple hours, maybe three. Because I, I don't think we really fell asleep till it was like after 3 a.m. We didn't sleep long. We, I remember we got up pretty early. It was probably like 8 o'clock in the morning. Everything feels different when the sun comes out, you know, and nothing feels as scary. I, we just got up and we're like, okay, let's go eat some breakfast. So we went upstairs. I remember we were eating cereal and talking and stuff. And then I remember Jake saying something about, I wonder if that lady's still here. And he looked outside and her car was gone. So I remember him going upstairs to do something. So I know it was, I, I can't remember what he was getting, something upstairs. He ran upstairs. He's like, dude, come here. So I go up and look. The upstairs was like a cyclone hit it. Like the bathtub was filled with water. And I remember it was kind of creeped me out. There was a pair of pantyhose floating in the water. And I remember the dresser drawers in his mom's room were open and there was clothes scattered. I remember kind of straightening up. I remember letting the water out of the tub, things like that. Not, not like we cleaned it or anything, but just kind of like the weird stuff. We just kind of took care of it. And we went back downstairs to finish breakfast. And I remember eating cereal and then the front door opening and that lady comes in. I never met her before, but she's like, oh, hey, honey, hi, Jake, and this and that. And she just sits down with us at the table and we're munching out and she just looks at Jake. She's like, you have to do me a big favor. And he's like, what? Please, please don't tell your mom I didn't come here last night. It was never her. <laughs> she said she fell asleep at her boyfriend's and she never came. And she made him promise not to tell her because she knows that, you know, she let her let her down, she'd be angry. And I remember the look on Jake's face, he just turned white. And we just looked at each other and didn't say a word. And he just said, okay, I won't tell her, don't worry about it, no big deal. And she took off. And I remember straightening up before his parents got home. I remember him saying, I don't even know how I could possibly explain this. Like, and we never told a soul. We never told its mom and dad. That was it. That was, it was just a night of madness. And it was weird. Once his parents came back and stuff, I never felt uncomfortable being at his house. I never felt I stayed at his house plenty of times after that. And of course we talked about it, mentioned it, or I'd always be like, did anything happen? You know, that kind of thing, no. And it never felt hostile. It's so weird, like, just recently, it was during our lockdown with COVID. So it was maybe six months ago. Um, I took my mom, your grandmother, uh, we went on a, a drive. And sometimes if I drive, you know, I'll take her on a drive and we'll kind of reminisce old neighborhood and stuff like that. And I said, hey, let's go see Jake's house. I haven't been there forever. And so, of course, the whole neighborhood looked a lot different now. And I'm driving down and I see, I know Jake's house is on the left. And I start to pull over and my eyes went directly up the window that was up to the right. I couldn't tell you what color the house was now. I couldn't tell you anything because my eyes couldn't leave that window. I never felt that in my life. And I'm telling, this was only six months ago. And I've thought about it and I, I can't even describe how it felt. I felt def 100% something was staring at me. Something that hated my guts. Something that wanted me dead. Something that it was awful. It was awful. My eyes couldn't leave that window. I started to pull over. Every hair on my body said straight up. And I just kept going. And I'm mom's going, which one is it? Which one? Is it? And I was like, oh, is that that it was back there, but there's people out in the yard. I didn't want to stop. And I just kept going. 
and well she'll know now I never told her <laughs> but if she hears this she'll know but it was the eeriest thing I ever felt and why it hates me I don't know the only thing I ever came up with was I crossed the line I caught it doing maybe it it does things all the time and it's never been caught you know what I mean I just saw the apparition and that was enough for it to hate me but it really freaked me out because it was like you know it happened what 35 37 years ago and it, it felt like it was then that feeling felt like it was back like there was no there was no 30-year time lapse I just as soon as I went there I felt this fear this rage the same rage that initially was in that room that just like a storm of anger and hatred swirling that was directed at me like laser beams from that window and it scared me and I I felt in the like I couldn't stop like I had to get out of there I just had this feeling like I don't know it kind of sounds weird but like it wanted to cling to me and I didn't want it to cling to me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Anomalous Waves. Um, make sure to check our show notes for all the references. I mean, like I said, we're going to get better about our social media. Try to be more interactive with that stuff. But if you just have cool stories or feedback you want to talk to us, can also just email us yeah. at anomalouswaves at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram. It'll, you know, inspire us to post more. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, yeah, once again, you know, our Patreon, we've got randomly generated rabbit holes, our bonus series going on there. We got a spooky monthly newsletter. We're already, our second issue should be out around the same time as this. Um We've got, we're going to have interviews with people. We also have kind of our our nod to the YouTube series, kind of things that me and Ami love to listen to randomly when we're cleaning or whatever, where it's just like spooky stories with maybe some background ambiance. And uh, here's a little clip of our last A Stormy Night with John and Ami, The Thing That Wears a Hat. All right, thanks for listening. Um, My dad's three encounters with a hat man in the fields. These encounters happened to my father in the 1980s in a village in Croatia. I will describe to you what the surroundings look like to try and give you an image. My dad and his friends walked everywhere most of his early life until he got a car in 1989, and he had two paths to take, one going through the woods for about 10 kilometers, and the other going through the straight road with fields at left and right side. And there were no street lamps at this time in either of the two paths, and there were no street lamps in his village as well. So it was pitch black, and he went alone a lot. But what amazes me is that he was never scared until this encounter. First encounter. My dad, the typical teenager, was going home by foot at three o'clock in the morning from a party in another small town. His friends stayed and he went because he had school that morning. As he was walking on the straight road path, he saw a man with a hat standing in the field to his left side, about 15 meters from him. He was just standing there, randomly looking at him at three o'clock in the morning. My dad started running as fast as he could until he got home. He played soccer his whole life, so when I say that he was running, I mean running. Second encounter. Alone, again, four o'clock in the morning this time, and the straight path. He was casually walking, tired and dreaming of his bed, and then he heard two voices, which were his friends in the distance, so he ran to them to catch up. But every time he ran, they ran. He stopped and ran again, and they would start running too. So after he got to them, at the end of the road, he was pissed off and asked them why they were running. They said, didn't you see the man in the hat running in the field next to you towards us? Now he almost crapped his pants. 
They say every time you ran, the man started running towards you and us. My dad says he got the chills every time he recalls that event. Third encounter. As he was going from a party, the rain started pouring and he and four girls went to his car and he was going to take them home. He's driving that path with the fields, the rain is pouring, and as he is driving, he and the girl beside him see a man in a hat about 10 meters from the car, get up from the right ditch by the side of the road and run to the left side of the road and into the ditch. He and the girl were terrified, but he kept on driving and didn't even want to look behind him because he was so scared. He asked the girl, did you see a man with a hat walk from the ditch to the other ditch? She responds, yes, I did. 